Your book's still here, Andrew. (laughs) Well, it was almost this morning my dog ate my homework because as I went into my office, having just spent some time rereading through, I found my coffee all over the floor, I found part of this screwed up in the bin and a two-year-old giggling her head off. So, you know... Obviously, I acted with grace and mercy and that gentleness that comes from... (laughs) Well, we're um, in John's Gospel, and we're coming to the end of our particular part of John's Gospel. We've been going through the first bit. Um, Obviously, if we did the whole thing, we'd be in there forever. So what we're going to do is the same as we did with Luke's Gospel, is we'll do a little bit of it every year. Okay? So this bit, we're just doing the first first sort of bit of it. John's gospel is kind of, it's different, isn't it, to the other gospels in the fact that um, of all the miracles that Jesus did, John includes eight of them. And uh, they're kind of eight proofs that he wants to prove who Jesus is to us, the reader. They are eight signs that are supposed to point us to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, And after each of these kind of signs, these proofs, um, John kind of includes a a bit of a kind of sermon from Jesus to explain the point that he's trying to make. Today we're in um, chapter 6, and because chapter 6 is so incredibly long, we've split it over three weeks. So just to remind you a little bit, at the beginning of chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000 men. So that would be, I don't know, 15,000 people if we put in the children and the women and anyone else. Is there anyone else? No. (laughs) Um, Then we have the crossing of the lake and the people who've been fed the bread are like, where, where is he? Where's he gone? Oh, my life, he's gone. And uh, they notice that the boats have gone and they go looking for him. And when they find him in Capernaum, Um, They say, you know, how how did you get here? Like, what's going on? And Jesus says to them, you're not actually looking for me. You're looking for more stuff. You're looking because I gave you all this bread to eat and you you want more stuff from me. But you should be um, looking for me. He said, and then he kind of gives them this word where he says, you know, don't work for food. Work, Work for God and a reward that will be eternal or quality of life. And so they say, you know, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? You know, what, what job should we do for God today? You know, how should we serve him? Please teach us, expecting him to give them something from the Old Testament, to be very wise and say, as well, it says in the word. But he doesn't say that. He says, um, verse 29 of chapter 6, if you've got it open, you can have a look. And Howard's going to do his best to find all these verses as we go. And so they should appear on the screen as well. So Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay? that He's talking about himself, the one he sent. Believe in me. And they say, well, you know, if you're sent from God, what are you going to do to convince us of this? You know, Moses, when he was about, he fed us every day. He gave us manna in the desert. What are you going to do? And Jesus very clearly says, you know, Moses never gave you that stuff. That stuff was from your heavenly father. He provided for you. He gave you food every day. It, it, it wasn't Moses, but rather God. 
It's a bit similar to the, do you remember the woman at the well when she met Jesus? He was um, talking to her and um, she wanted, to, she, she was saying to him, they were having a discussion about water and she was saying, give, 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 us, give me the water. And here Jesus, they say to Jesus, well, give, us the, give us this bread, give us the bread. And Jesus in verse 35, have a little look at it. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. You don't believe. Jesus uses this believe word. In John, we get it 86 times. One in 10 verses, we're hitting the word believe. John's gospel couldn't make it any more obvious. What does he want you to do? to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is using here the metaphor of bread. Now, if you've been to primary school, you'll know a bit of a difference between similes and metaphor. So if you have a simile, (laughs) well, look, some people are smiling, some people are going, I don't know. (laughs) But a simile is a bit like uh, when you say something like, as quick as a fox. You're saying it's like something. But a metaphor is when you don't use like or as, or anything like that, you just say it is, like the shop was a little gold mine. The shop was it. It wasn't like it, it was it. And here we have Jesus saying, using a metaphor, I am the bread of life. Okay? And this is his first of his I am sayings. Remember he says stuff like, I am the way, the truth, the light. I am the gate. I am the door. He's using all these pictures for people to say, well, this is what I'm like. I am the good shepherd. And here he says, I am the bread of life. And um, unlike our primary school age children who would be able to grasp that, our very learned Jews <laughs> struggle a bit with it. They're caught up too much in the literalness of it. Um, They begin to argue with Jesus about where he's from. They are so focused on what they don't understand about what he's saying that they miss the obvious stuff that is right in front of their face, that he's the son of God. And this week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with Jesus continuing to explain till he's blue in the face that he can give them eternal life, while our Jews continue to get very cross. But before we do that, let's just look at that word, those words, eternal life. Now, in the New Testament, the word eternal, it's bigger than forever, okay? When we think about eternal, we think, oh, well, that's something that goes on forever. But the word in the New Testament doesn't just mean that. It's talking about not only quantity of life, but a quality of life, okay? It's a fullness of life, a completeness. Eternal life, of course, begins the moment we believe in Jesus. Um, In chapter 6, verse 47... If you have a look, or it'll come up, (laughs) da-da. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life or eternal life. He who believes has this quality of life, this abundance, this richness. And that's why Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
Can you see how he's using that eternal word and the fullness goes together? Like in this passage, he talks about filling a person up, satisfying their hunger and their thirst. Um, Satisfaction guaranteed. We often hear that, don't we, in advertising. If you don't like it, return it to us and we'll give you our money back. But we won't want to return what Jesus gives us. My mum wants... um, opened some bran flakes. She's a bit like this. Anyway, this is totally irrelevant, but it's fun anyway. (laughs) She opened some bran flakes, and she found a piece of straw in there. Well, being my mum, she didn't just, you know, pick the straw out. No, she put in an envelope, and she wrote in the envelope to the bran flake company, what is this, exclamation mark? And she posted it to the bran flake company, and the lovely bran flake company obviously sent her some vouchers for more brand flake back. (laughs) But we won't want to do that with the gifts that Jesus gives us. If he gives us brand flakes and he gives us some straw in it, this is a metaphor again for those that are wondering, the straw is useful. It is there for a purpose. We might think that that straw is not meant to be there, but it is in God's purposes. That's a sideline. <laughs> so, eternal life. What does, um, what does it say? That they know you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is a famous verse, John 17 and verse 3. Should up here. Ta-da! Now, this is eternal life. This is the quality of life, the richness, the fullness, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life equals knowing God and Jesus Christ. Eternal life is that state of knowing to come. The word knowing means to perceive, to recognize who Jesus is. When you see who he is, I see it. Eternal life starts then. The quality, the richness of life starts from that moment. And it is not broken by death. That's the everlasting bit. It's not broken. But it starts now. We don't have to wait. It's starting now. To know God. And this is something Jesus accuses the Jews of quite a lot. He says, if you knew me, John 8, 19 you would know the Father. If you knew me, you'd know the Father. And Philip, in chapter 14, verse 8, Jesus says, don't you know me yet? When Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus says, well, hello, (laughs) here I am. (laughs) You can't have the Father without Jesus. They're together. So this week, we meet Jesus again in Capernaum. He's up in the ante with these very angry Jews, and it's verse 51. So we're going to start there. Get open your Bibles, chapter 6, verse 51. It'll also come up if you need it. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And here he is in the synagogue, and the Jews... Well, they're arguing again. Let's read on, 52 to 60. Then the Jews began to argue, and that's that grumble word again that 
um, Andrew talked about last week, sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So we can leave it there for now. So at this point, it's really easy, I think, to identify with the Jews. It's getting a little bit weird, let's face it. Eating flesh, drinking blood, the metaphor's going a little bit wild at this point. But we need to slow down and remember that it's not real. We don't need, the Jews were obsessed with the literalness of it. Let's think about what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is using this, a metaphor of their felt need, their hunger for food, to explain their real need. They need, and the whole world's need, in fact, to be rescued. Jesus is saying, whoever consumes me, fills themselves with me, will be fully satisfied. And how do we consume Jesus? Verse 47 the one who believes has eternal life. Can you see how John uses it interchangeably, saying the one who eats has eternal life, the one who drinks has eternal life, the one who believes has eternal life. He's using it. It's very simple. Simply believes. When you perceive him, when you see who Jesus is, that he's from God, that he's one with God, that he died on the cross, a sacrifice of himself to enable us to know him, We perceive him, we believe, and we gain eternal life. Your true desires and passions and appetites can be met. You'll never again hunger or thirst because your needs will be met. Each of us was created for that relationship with our creator. But because we reject God, and so often we do this, we're left with what some people describe as a God-shaped hole. I think it's a bit like a pudding stomach, maybe. There's always something that's not quite full until you've had your pudding. And it's the same thing with God. We're never going to be full until we have God in our lives. Our deepest needs can only be met when we're plugged into him. Verse 56, if you look at it, Remember, eating flesh and drinking blood is the same as believing. Whoever does this remains in me, and I in them. Remains, stays, ongoing. And Jesus used this term remain a number of times. He uses it when later on he's talking about the vine and the branches. And he talks about whoever um, is in the vine remains in me. He's talking about himself as the vine and the true disciples are the branches that stay attached and they feed off him continually. 
continuous believing. It's the picture of your roots going down into the love of God. And I've heard it said a couple of times that true discipleship is a refusal to go anywhere else for what you need than the root. To, to go, a refusal to get anything else from anywhere other than the root. All the things that we go to to bring us our satisfaction, such as family and careers and friends and TV and gardening or exercise or whatever it is, they're all good. They're good things. But it's only with God filling that center bit that we feel full will feel satisfied. Without Jesus, the very things we hope to satisfy us will not, and at their worst, will leave us emptier than ever. It's a bit like, imagine you have here two tables. Um, This table um, here has whatever you, is your comfort food. Okay, so I want you to picture now what your comfort food. So for me, there's like a mountain of scotch eggs sitting here. It's a bit weird, I know, but that's it for me. I'm feeling a bit depressed. I'm going to have a scotch egg. So you put on there whatever your go-to food is. Now, you're feeling a bit that way, so you go to the table and you take it. And it makes you feel a little bit better. It does make you feel a little bit better. But imagine if you continued. It didn't quite make you feel perfect so you ate another one and then you ate another one and then you ate another one in fact you didn't eat anything else you just ate this very soon you're gonna something that was really good and enjoyable becomes something that's really not doing you any good at all and you're gonna be very unhealthy whereas over here Jesus has prepared a table that's full of diverse and rich and uh, vitamin giving lovely food and he says can't eat this and you're like oh but this makes me feel good but actually it's not making you feel good any anymore so I hope that's a little bit helpful so how do we fill ourselves with God Well, firstly, we've been reading about living water in previous weeks, and that's equated with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God that every believer receives um, when they believe that Jesus is God and gave his life for them. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says the following. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that's what you get when you start believing in Jesus. Secondly, during Jesus' later metaphor, he desc- when he describes himself as the vine, the chapter 17, verse 7, Jesus says this. Hmm? Oh, well, ignore that. <laughs> if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is... Pardon, 15, 7. I thought, that's not right. (laughs) Chapter 15, verse 7. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now, listen to the first bit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So we've got two things that fill us up. The word and the spirit. To fill our God-shaped hole. In Proverbs, God declares... He says, 
if we acknowledge him, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. As we eat his words, his spirit helps us understand them and he writes them on our hearts. And we are filled with the truth that brings life. And it helps us to know security in really uncertain times. Now, I was thinking about today is we're in uncertain times. You know, we can't really avoid the EU, can we, thing? But there might be fear of an unknown future in us. There might be fear of safety in us. There might be fear for financial or employment stability. There might be fear over our pensions. There might be fear for our children's future. But when we're filled with God and we feed on his word, we can declare scripture aloud. We can say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He will give me everything I need. We can declare words from Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And from the Psalms, it tells us, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. And in Matthew's Gospel, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink or your body or what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can you see, yes, it doesn't take away the, uh, the tension in our country, but as believers, we have got a deeper peace. We have the truth of God's word, which as we read it, the Spirit binds it to our hearts and our souls that the fear is replaced with hope and joy. We're so privileged, aren't we, to have a Bible. I know we forget this, but we've got one in our house. We've got one on our phone. We have them all around. And feeding on Jesus is feeding on his word to consume him to fill ourselves with the truth each day, to be completely consumed by him and filled up with him. In a world where we hear things like whites are superior, women are objects to be traded, owned, or used, violence is the only way to get your message across. The poor deserve to be poor, that doing what's right for you is the only way to happiness, and that God doesn't exist, and if he did, he must be cruel. We need the truth when we're living in the state we're living in at the moment. The people of God in the Old Testament were commanded to know what God said, to teach it to their kids, to bind it to their arms, and to write it on their door frames. They were not to forget what his word said. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 to 9. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children because they're truth. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, we don't literally do that anymore. If you look at a, an Orthodox Jew, you can often see a box on their head or on their arm. They've bound it literally to themselves. But we have the Holy Spirit that writes his words on our hearts. He binds them to us. They are our security. They are our comfort. They are our strength. They are the thing that tells us what is true when we're receiving so many different messages from the world around us. And the Holy Spirit, yes, it is the Holy Spirit's job to do that, but we have a part to play. If we have a privilege of owning a Bible, the very least we can do is open our Bible and open our heart. And I know that I'm guilty, along with everyone else, of not picking up my Bible of just taking it for granted. So I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm pointing the finger at me. We need to consume it to know it. Finally, let's quickly look at the last bit of this chapter, 60 to 70. Chapter 6 still. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, there's the words again, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who threw, so one of the twelve was later to betray him. So confused or angered or lost in this metaphor, many of the Jews that have legged it across and round the, round the Sea of Galilee or on boats now walk away. They just can't see. And when Jesus asked the twelves, well, are you going to go? Peter says, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life. You have the words, the truth that brings me a quality of life that I can't get anywhere else to know God. Peter says, I believe, I know, I know, I know. And loads of us can testify to that, that we know that God is Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. 
that he came to die in our place, that we might know him more. True believers we see remain in him when others dismiss him as lies, when God's words and ways are hard to understand, and when we're in a minority or even our closest friends walk away. We are called to follow him. Jesus has been so faithful in my life. He's guided me, protected me, redeemed me. He provided again and again for me. He has healed me. And life's not been easy. I sometimes get the straw. Well, a lot of time I get the straw and think, what the heck is the straw? But he is good and he is faithful. And I can't do anything but testify to that. He is my bread of life. And I know for many of you here, he is your bread So let's take a few minutes to just think, how is Jesus mine? How is he my bread today? What has he done for me? And how, and anything else you want to think about. While we're doing that, if today you'd like to begin following Jesus, to taste his goodness, then I'm going to pray a prayer now. And if it's a prayer that you agree with, then just say amen at the end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you came from God and are God. I believe you died for me and all the wrong I've done or thought. Please forgive me. Thank you for making a way for me to know you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Help me to follow you, to learn from you. Fill me with your promised Holy Spirit to help me know you and to follow you daily. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.